uh, for y'all. I, uh, I had to sit down, but you can stay standing this time. And uh, we're going to read God's Word very briefly. But before we do that, I want to kind of set it up for you. And I want to invite you. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a visitor, so I can take a little license. And I want to invite you um, to imagine something with me. Picture yourself uh, one month ago in another place. You're in Charlottesville, Virginia. It's the night of Friday, August 11th. And if that scene is starting to come together for you, what do you see in, in front of you? There's, there's a torchlit procession. Um, you, hear, uh, you hear shouts, uh, shouts of whose country, our country, blood and soil. You hear that echoing across the campus of the University of Virginia. Now, this is, this is an experiment, this is an imagination. So, someone else is there at that scene. It's the Apostle Paul, and he's standing there blocking the path that the protesters are walking on. And he's going to engage them with these words. So, read with me, follow along this passage from Ephesians 3. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I've written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel I was made a minister, according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone What is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things? So that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, thank you for giving us your word. Lord, you attest to your word that it is sharper than any two-edged sword. Father, uh, when you speak through your word, it divides truth from falsity, um, sin from righteousness. And Lord, we ask that you would reveal yourself through your word to us, to the deep places of our heart, to the deep questions we all bring Uh, to you this morning. God, this is the thing that you've promised to do through the working of your Holy Spirit. So we pray, as it says here, with confidence, expectantly, uh, waiting to hear from you, waiting to see your glory. So please do that for Christ's sake. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. So um, this past Thursday, uh, we hosted We Being New City Fellowship in conjunction with For the Nations, um, we hosted our second Bible study of the semester. 
And it's a really exciting time for me. Uh, this really, actually, and probably some of the other folks even here would say maybe it's one of the highlights of their week. But we get to spend uh, every Thursday from 11 to 12.15 with a group of refugees uh, from, uh, from Asia, from Africa, from Southeast Asia and uh, in the Middle East. And, and we're studying the book of Mark. And uh, it is a rich time. And you guys, uh, you know, this is maybe a little bit dangerous to do because I provide the food, but y'all are all welcome. Any Thursday you want to come, uh, come to For the Nations, the new location, and uh, join us. We'd love to have you and, uh, and, and study the book of Mark together. But this past week, uh, a Congolese student shared a story, uh, the story of when his family found out that they were uh, being given permission to come to the United States. Uh, Life-changing news, really. Now, uh, this brother had lived in a Rwandan refugee camp for 18 years. And remember, he's from Congo originally, but he's been in a Rwandan refugee camp for um, 18 years. And the day that they learned that they were going to be coming to America... Um, actually, a strange thing happened. The, the UN official came to their, their family in secret. And they said, listen, we've got some news to tell you. You, you can go to the U.S. This is good news. But you have to keep it secret. You have to keep this a secret. Don't tell anybody about it. And our friend shared with us that the reason the UN tells refugees not to tell where they're going, is that it's a mortal danger for refugees living in the camps to, to share that news. Um, our friend explained that in the camps, people will kill you if they think you're leaving. There's 14,000 people in that camp waiting to get out. And they think, ah, this, this person, he's going to America. Now he will be rich. So they will try to stop you. It's an agonizing, it can, I mean, can you imagine that? What an agonizing experience that must be to have received that life-changing news, but then being told, just keep it under wraps. And so that's what our friend did. Our friend was able to keep it secret. Um, understandably, I think, his wife, just in course of life, uh, let it slip to a neighbor that, um, that they were going to be coming to the States and my friend said one day he was minding his own business, and a man he did not know approached him and asked him, said, are you going to America? And my friend played it cool, and he said, he said maybe. They say, maybe. Uh, we don't know the date. Don't know if we can trust him. And the good news is that the Lord protected our friend. Uh, he protected his family. Um, they were able to come uh, six months ago. They actually arrived in Dallas on January 19th, the day before Inauguration Day, uh, which is amazing. And uh, they have been building their new lives here in Dallas. Uh, the, the friend is a, um, a, a night janitor at SMU. He takes GED classes at For the Nations during the day. Uh, he's taking care of his eight kids, and they expect one on, there's one on the way in February. Um, this is an amazing journey that this, this brother went through. And as I've been thinking about uh, that reality, his reality, it's just been a crushing, there have been a couple crushing thoughts that have come to me. What is it in the human heart that would motivate 
someone. It, to, you know, one man's uh, good fortune becomes another man's hostility. What is it that, that how do we account for um, animosity like that? Um, when I asked you earlier um, to think about Charlottesville, or maybe you can think about uh, the events uh, of Barcelona, um, I think we, we immediately, uh, quite easily, can, can discern, uh, well, this, this group is motivated by hatred of that group. But how do we account for the hatred and the hostility that, that dwells in our hearts among brothers, among people of our own tribe? Racial supremacy is evil, and um, Paul is, has a lot to say about that in this passage, as we'll see. But in some ways, I think my, my friend's story shows that, that racial uh, hostility is just the tip of the iceberg. The hostility of the human heart goes much, much deeper. Theologians actually have a word for this, and they, they call it total depravity. Uh, total depravity is not saying that we're as awful as we could possibly be, uh, that, that we're the worst people ever. Uh, total depravity is a way of, of helping us understand the extent of human hostility, that there's no part of, of our hearts which is unaffected by sin. Uh, the book of Ephesians actually gives a, a very stark portrait of what this hostility looks like. In chapter 2, Paul says, uh, we all once lived out the passions of the flesh, carrying out the twisted desires of the body and the mind. Paul tells the Gentiles, you once were separated from Christ, estranged from his people, without God, without hope. You were dead in the trespasses of your sins. It's a, it's a very stark take on the, the, the depth of human hostility. But the good news of Ephesians, and it is good news before us, is that God overcomes human hostility through the sacrificial grace of Jesus Christ. And in our passage especially, Paul calls this work a mystery. He uses that term mystery four different times in our passage and six times in the, um, in the book of Ephesians overall. Uh, the mystery of Christ, the mystery of the Gentile inclusion, the mystery of God's plan. Now, we have certain connotations of what mystery means. Uh, we think maybe Sherlock Holmes or we think, um, we think about quantum theory or we think about who stole my mail. Mystery has a lot of different meanings, but when Paul uses mystery, what he's getting at is, is um, God's revelation at just the right historical moment. That's what mystery means to Paul and in the New Testament. And the big question of our passage is, well, okay, it's a mystery. What did God reveal to Paul? What did he reveal? And the mystery is this. Through Jesus Christ, God transforms human hostility into redemptive unity. Human hostility is totally redirected in a completely different direction, and it becomes redemptive unity. Um, we're going to see that mystery played out on, on three different levels in the passage. Uh, first is the personal redemption that Paul experienced. Next is the corporate reconciliation that is ours as the people of God. And lastly is even something which is mysterious in itself, cosmic redirection. So I want to uh, address each of those briefly with you all this morning. And first, uh, let's look at, at this personal redemption. 
Um, Paul's introduction to the mystery of Christ begins with his own personal redemption story. Uh, you can look in verses 1 and 2 right there. He's, Paul says, I, Paul, am a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. I've been given stewardship of God's grace for you. Now, uh, Paul is speaking figuratively in one sense. Uh, he's a prisoner for Christ. He's a, uh, sometimes you'll see folks that have, and maybe some of you have the tattoo, doulos, slave. It's that idea, I belong to Christ. That's a good thing. What Paul, when Paul says he's a prisoner for Christ, though, he's actually speaking very concretely because he's under house arrest in Rome. Uh, Acts 28 records that uh, Paul spent many years under house arrest as he was uh, meeting with various um, Christians, uh, sharing the gospel, meeting with Roman officials, but he lived in prison. Why had Paul been jailed, you might ask? Well, similar to our friend, our Congolese friend from the Rwandan refugee camp, Paul had been betrayed by his own flesh and blood, fellow Jews who arrested him on false charges in Jerusalem. Acts 21 records, uh, Acts 21 and 22 records that scene. Um, you can read the, from starting in Acts 20 and reading all the way through the book of Acts, and, and that would be a fascinating thing for you to dig into this week. But, but basically what happened was Paul changed sides. Uh, Paul became a Gentile lover, and his own people hated him for it. Uh, Paul had been the relentless persecutor of, of Christians, but on the road to Damascus, of course, he met Jesus, the resurrected Lord, face to face. And Christ not only rebuked him, said, stop persecuting my people, Paul. But he also healed Paul, and he shocked everyone when Acts 9.15 records, Paul is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. That is a fascinating, remarkable mystery. How on earth could God use Paul, his big, you know, arguably enemy number one of the church, to become their champion? Um, the reality is that even though Paul, even though you and I do nothing to deserve favor, the favor of Christ like this, and we've done everything to earn Jesus' hostility, yet Jesus still chooses to love us. Yet Jesus responds to our hostility with grace. Not only forgiveness, but an invitation um, into blessing, completely unexpected, completely un undeserved. Um, I heard a remarkable story a couple weeks ago of, of what grace actually looks like in our daily lives. Um, I have a friend who is from Iraq, and he is an Uber driver. And uh, I don't know how many of you, I'm sure everyone here remembers the gas shortage rumor from a couple weeks ago. Um, sh quick poll, show of hands. How many of you panicked that Thursday night or Friday morning and uh, went driving to go track down the last remaining gas in North Texas? Um, I, I did. That was me. Uh, Thursday night, I spent two hours. Uh, I have never been through a gas shortage before, so that was a new experience. But, but I asked my friend, the, the Iraqi Uber driver, I said, you know, how did that go for you? You drive a lot more than me. And he said, he said oh, you know, I, I found a gas station, and uh, I had to wait two hours for gas, but it was easy. I said, what? What are you talking about? Easy. <laughs> uh, he said, 
when we were back in Baghdad, we would have to wait two days for gas. Um, it, that was normal. We would, we, would, we would go get our spot in line, and, and, and our families would make food for us, and we'd camp out, and then other families would come and relieve us. You know, my only experience with that is for a uh, U2 ticket camp out. Um, that is an incredible reality. He said it's easy for us. And then my friend shocked me even more. He told me a story of, of what his dad had done. Uh, his dad apparently had been in line waiting at a gas station, and he's about to get uh, the gas, and all of a sudden someone comes up and, and tries to cut in line, and my friend's father let him go ahead. And then the next guy, and then the guy after him, three cars he let go ahead of him um, in the middle of a gas crisis. In an un- uh, unbelievable picture of selflessness in the midst of a lot of animosity. Uh, I was crushed and convicted by that story because uh, something similar had happened to me on that Thursday night. Someone had tried to cut in front of me, and I got out of my car, and I walked up to the window, and I said, what are you doing? Go to the back of the line. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) such a convicting uh, picture of what grace is. Uh, Undeserved favor, undeserved blessing in the face of hostility. Um, Paul's redemption story and every genuine encounter with God's grace is the Lord meeting us this way. It's God meeting our frenzied panic, um, our animosity, and disarming us with selfless love. That's what happened to Paul in Damascus. That's what changed the course of his life dramatically. And that's what is on offer every time Jesus says, come. Come to the table. Come and be with me. So, um, in verse 3, Paul says that the stewardship of God's grace had been given to him uh, for the Gentiles. And that, that it was a mystery made known by revelation. You know, Paul wasn't seeking this out. He was actually seeking the complete opposite. Uh, then he says in verse 7 of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, given to me by the working of his power. Grace is given. Revelation has been shared. Working of his power. The point in all of this is that, um, even as we heard about baptism, um, grace comes to us from outside. It's not something we can, we can earn. It's not something we can uh, prove ourselves worthy of. And that's exactly what God gives. On Dam- in Damascus, the defining moment of Paul's life, um, Grace radically broke in on the Apostle Paul and totally reversed his life course. So, if you think about Paul's trajectory, and maybe think about your own trajectory of life, um, Paul was on track for the Jewish C-suite. He was a Jew of Jews. He was zealous for the traditions of his fathers. He he should have spent his life in the temple, um, writing Torah commentaries, negotiating with the Roman Empire maybe even becoming high priest one day. But God totally redeemed Paul's misplaced passions and made him a missionary to the Gentiles. And so the question I want to ask you this morning is, what misplaced passions of yours might Christ also be waiting to redeem? Is there something that rules you, an anxiety that drives you, something you have to have, something that instinctively causes you panic, 
makes you jockey in line for the gas that's about to run out? Have you experienced the disarming kindness of Jesus that meets our hostility with grace? Have you experienced that lately? If, if you have, and if you can imagine Paul, again, in that scene I tried to set up at the beginning, engaging the guys in Charlottesville, <laughs> Paul's basically saying, guys, I used to be just like you, but God's grace healed my hard heart. His hostility was transformed into love, and so that's why he says in verses 8 and 9, to me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Amen, Paul. Can you say amen to that? Can you say along with Paul that I'm the least of the saints? I don't deserve any of these unsearchable riches of Christ. Chief of sinners, you can face the true conditions of your heart the true idols of your heart, the true misplaced loves of your heart, because of this grace. Our hostilities to God and to neighbor do run deep. But you can face these because Christ lavishes his grace on us while we were still his enemies. That's Paul's story of personal redemption. And I want to ask, is it yours? Will you make it yours? Maybe for the first time. Maybe for the first time in a long time. So, uh, real transformation, like Paul, begins uh, at an individual level. Always has to start at the individual level between us and the Lord. And um, that's what redemption is. But of course, it doesn't just remain a private affair. Grace overflows. It's supposed to overflow into relationships, into families, into workplaces, in the wider culture. And, and that gets us to this, this second dimension of, of the mystery, and that is corporate reconciliation. Corporate reconciliation in this passage, Paul says, it's, it's, it's grace unifying former enemies. Uh, verse 4, to go back a little bit, Paul says, when you read this, You can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets. Now, I think the kicker verse, I think the hinge verse for this whole passage is verse 6. So don't miss this. Uh, Verse 6, the mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. What's Paul saying? Not only did the gospel bring Paul personal redemption, but it totally redefined his social landscape, his, his vision of, of his community, and his obligation to people who used to be his former enemies. Um, John Stott wrote a great book about uh, Ephesians, and the, his, his title is very apt. It's called God's New Society. And the chief characteristic of this new society is... Old hostilities reconciled. Enemies, rivals, become unified. That is a great mystery. Um, Let me take you back to the Charlottesville scene again. Um, I don't know if you actually watched any of the footage of it. Um, Proceed with caution. Kelly and I watched it, and uh, it was very disturbing. But it was also helpful. And um, 
as I was watching it, I just kept thinking, you know, what, <laughs> what do you say to hate like that? Where, where do you even start? Um, of course, it's easy to denounce, and we should rightly denounce uh, racism, but, but how would I actually try to engage with the arguments, uh, the motivations that those guys have? How would I begin to try to persuade them, even love them? Um, I did not have a clue until I read verse 6. So if you look at it again, the mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Why is this such a mystery? The reason that this is a massive mystery is that, is that the world expects birds of a feather to always continue to flock together. Our world expects group hostilities, group identities to remain fixed in time. And yet, Paul is, has had something very different revealed to him um, by, by Jesus himself. Paul, you go to the Gentiles. There, there is no greater ancient hostility in between Jew and Gentile. Paul, you go to the, your ancient enemies. And Paul, as he's grappling with this in Ephesians, and he's sitting, you know, this is not theoretical, he's sitting in prison because he did go <laughs> to, the, to the Gentiles, and he was persecuted by, by them, he was persecuted by the Jews, he was even opposed by disciples of his own, you know, his, his own new tribe. But, but, but God didn't back down from it. <laughs> my, my, my purpose is that, that, that enemies would be reconciled, would be made one. And um, verse 6 really gets at this. The English obscures it a little bit. We don't totally feel how, how bold of a statement this is. But, but Paul invents three new Greek words to describe the reality that's now true because Jesus has come. Um, the words are siglekaramos, sisamos, and semetikos. I butchered that. And you can have uh, John or others correct, correct me and, and unpack those words for you a little bit more. But... The basic idea in all of this is togetherness. In all of these words, it's togetherness. Now the the former enemies are fellow heirs. Now the old enemies are fellow uh, partakers. They're fellow members of the same body. And that's actually, you know, the the amazing thing is, unless you have um, Jewish ethnic roots, this this is addressed to all of us. So if your lineage is from Europe or from Africa or from Asia or Hispanic, this is our story. <laughs> we are the ones being invited into their thing, into their co- and the privileged covenant community of God, the people of God. And there is nothing so shocking as what is on offer to, to outsiders being brought in. Um, Gentiles are, are now fellow heirs. That means they have the rightful claim to all the covenant family privileges and inheritance. Now, I know in this uh, church family, there are many uh, adoption families. There's many adoptees. There's many of you all who've adopted. And, and, and all of you, I know, would say, it, you know, it's one of the greatest blessings. The blessing of adoption to New St. Peter's, I know, is a big part of, of your story. And that's true for us also. That's also true for us being grafted in, as Romans 9 says, into the the people of God. Paul says this explicitly in Galatians 3. In Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God 
through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And now there's, listen to this, there's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. There are rich gifts on offer to all outsiders who've been brought into the people of God. But not only that, the outsiders are now also fellow members. They belong in the body. Um, We're not complete if we don't have fellowship with outsiders. Paul was not complete. The church was missing something so long as it remained huddled in Jerusalem. It had to break out. That's why the mission to the Gentiles was such a pivotal time in the, in the history of the church. It's beautiful. Um, over and over again in the book of Ephesians, Paul is unpacking this, uh, this, this incredible reality that through Jesus, a new body has been formed. A new society has been created. And we all get to be a part of that. You get to be a part of that. And that identity, son and daughter, now you're brought into the kingdom. That identity takes priority over, all, like it said in Galatians, over all the other identities that we try to give our, our, our ultimate um, allegiance to. So your job is not the most important. Your family history is not the most important anymore. Your tribe is not the most important anymore. The most important thing is that you have been adopted by grace. That is amazing news. That's amazing news. It takes former enemies and it makes, makes them into one body. Not only that, you're also a fellow partaker of the promise. Outsiders brought in, they get to be participants in the rich blessings of the covenant people of God. Um, the biggest blessing that we are given access to is, is actually the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Paul says in um, Ephesians 1.13, this is the Holy Spirit of promise. In Ephesians 2, he says, when you become a part of this new body... God has actually sent His Spirit and is, and is sending His Spirit to dwell in us. You know, the Spirit doesn't, uh, res- God doesn't reside in a temple anymore. He resides in His people, in our hearts. That's an amazing gift. An amazing thing to, to be invited into this, this rich partaking. So, trying to get your head around this in light of a fragmented world, in light of polarized people, uh, and, and, and we're thinking about neighbors, we're thinking about coworkers. maybe you're thinking about your Facebook community. Think, <laughs> add this to the mix. Add this reality to the mix. God loves to take people who would have been the least likely, he would have been the least likely to have any kind of commonality with them, and God loves to take them and, make, and bring them in, because that's what he's done with us. That's what he's done with us, and he's going to continue to do with us. By entering into a relationship with Jesus Christ, Gentiles become children of Abraham, heirs of the promised blessing made to him. Union with Christ reverses the curse of exclusion. Union with Christ reverses the curse of exclusion. So, if we were to go out after this, go sit down at lunch or maybe meet for coffee later this week, and I were to ask you, what do you think? What do you think about, what do you think about um, the, the cultural winds that are blowing? Are you encouraged? Are you discouraged? Is, is, are things heading in a good direction? 
is, is the trend line pointing in a favorable direction? The fragmentation, we have to be real, the fragmentation is growing. But the gospel is a powerful countercurrent. It's a powerful rebuke to that. And it actually meets so many of the longings that, that our culture is looking to satisfy, that, to find that unity through. There's only one way to do it, and that's by having your heart transformed, our hearts transformed by the living God, by the grace of Jesus Christ that comes to us while we were seeking hostility. We were striking, we were cutting off people in the gas line. We were looking to make our own kingdom as, as we confessed earlier. That's the way that God redirects our hearts. It's the mystery of reconciliation. And it's the beauty of, of the people of God. And when, when many of us have that same story and are living that out and walking in that together, the world, I, the world doesn't know what to say. It doesn't have the categories for it. The last point uh, we're not going to get to, um, it's in verse 10. And it's such a tantalizing, it's just like a little morsel. Um, but Paul says, Through the church the manifold wisdom of God may be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. The church is, it, it is the arena for showing not only neighbors and family, but also showing the, the rulers and authorities, the demonic powers. Um, it's, it's the, the church, is the, our lives are the arena for convincing the world that God's grace is real. Um, you can ask all of your questions about rulers and authorities, direct them all to Colin. Um, but that is a major, <laughs> that's a major claim. So, friends, as we seek to make our way, we seek to follow the Lord and His call on us, on our lives, to continue to make disciples among the nations, among the unlikely, among the outsiders. As we seek to live that out through whatever calling the Lord has given us, at home, in the workplace, wherever, do it with this spirit. Do it with this this hope that God loves to bring the most unlikely people in. He loves to transform hostility into redemptive unity at every conceivable level, personal, corporate, cosmic. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we want to praise you and thank you um, for sending your son Jesus. Uh, Lord, he was the one who ultimately did not uh, shun the call, did not shun um, being sent to aliens, but he's the one who became an alien to you, who was uh, excluded, who willingly set aside his rights and privileges that he had with you, uh, coming to us, serving us, loving us, giving his life to transform us. Oh Lord, please help us to grasp the power and the mystery of the cross, the cross which always is restoring us to your favor, uh, your grace which is always leading us uh, to new knowledge of our, of our sin, of our rebellion and our hostility. Lord, your grace is the only thing which is going to allow us um, the courage to face, to face our ugliness, to face our sin. But Lord, your grace is also the only thing which is strong enough to replace that with your Son, with His righteousness, with His record, with His love. So Father, would you continue to do that 
for my brothers and sisters here. Would you continue to do that among all your people here in North Texas and beyond for the sake of your name and the extension of your kingdom? Amen.